you are listening to Necropolis on Hessian Throne. Please visit hessianthrum.com for metal reviews, interviews, analyses, lifestyle articles, as well as releases from the label. Welcome to another episode of Necropolis. I am Jason, also known as Lone Goat from GoCraft. Today I have a very mysterious and interesting character. Um, a lot of the people in the metal world are familiar with this individual because he kind of helps you know, promote things and write about a lot of bands. So I have Mr. Islander from the very prolific website, No Clean Singing. Thank you for very much for being on the program. Thank you, Jason, for, uh, for having me. I'm, I'm flattered you asked and uh, happy to be here and looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, throughout the years, I noticed when you had, you know, wrote about my project, um, I, I thought it was really cool. Like, you know, I could actually talk to you a little bit and end up writing a few articles for you. So uh, first question here is what initially got you into extreme metal? Like, were you very young when you got into metal? Like, did you start out with like the basics, like Metallica and stuff? No, I, I was I was much older. Uh, in fact, I've I've never mentioned this publicly, but but my two kids got me into metal when they were in uh, junior high and high school. And that was only about like 15 years ago. Uh, I was doing the best I could to try to understand and be a part of their lives because at the time I was really working tremendously hard. I wasn't home a lot. And when I figured out what they were listening to, I've always been a music fan. Um, and when I figured out what they were listening to, I started taking them to metal shows uh, in Seattle. And I, I wound up, you know, falling in love with the music myself. So that's, that's really how it started. That's and very I, interesting. So your kids were the ones who kind of thrusted you into metal. I've never heard about that before. Um, I've heard about, you know, like old timers being in the metal scene and their kids getting into it. Um, and like a weird thing with like Nicolas Cage's son, um being like really into black metal and then nicholas cage you can see pictures of him with like Demi borgir and things but i've never heard about you know uh someone like you where you know your kids got into it you started you know checking it out and having that you know hobby for them to do and then you in turn getting into it and starting your own website and all that so uh kind of moves me on to a another question here um with uh, no clean singing, you know, immediately the, the website, it, uh, it, it denotes like you guys don't like clean singing, which, you know, look at like Dio and all that in metal is kind of like, it kind of could be blasphemous for a lot of people, especially people who like power metal. Um, so have you become more lenient on clean vocals over the years while you've been doing the website? Well, I would say no. Uh, but I'd also have to say that I was never completely down on clean vocals when I picked the site's name. It was, you know, when I picked that name, it was a little bit of a joke, probably like half joke, half serious. Uh, because what really appealed to me about metal when I started getting into it was just all of its intensity, you know, the intensity of the sound, the intensity of the emotion, and the intensity of harsh vocals was an important part of what appealed to me. And this was back you know, back when I started going to shows with my kids, when I started the blog, it was back when uh, metalcore was a thing. Mm. And, uh, you know, so when I started hearing band, you know, metalcore bands. Oh, I can see how that would make you cringe. Yeah, it did. It just made me cringe. It, it, it seemed to just like cause the intensity to leak away from the music. And so I, I named the site, you know, kind of in protest of that. Uh, I was mainly prompted by change in vocalist and one band I really liked at the time, Bury Your Dead. But, you know, even, even when I started it, um, you know, we have kind of an about section on the blog and I made clear, you know, from the first day we launched it, that, that clean vocals um, can also amplify the intensity of music and change the mood in powerful ways. So, I mean, I've always known that. Um, but to be fair, I, I still have a low tolerance for it. It's got <laughs> to be a certain type of singing and it's got to, it's got to bring out other dimensions of the music. I mean, I, they're all, as you said, all the old metal heads and lots of new ones that, you know, swear by 
you know, people like King Diamond and Dio, and I just have never, never gotten it. Actually, me too. Um, except that I got in, you know, regular metal like Metallica, Megadeth, and Slayer. And eventually, when I was 12, I had met uh, Alan Moses, who ran the Covenant of Death fan club by Morbid Angel. He worked at the school I was at. Um, and he saw me listening to Metallica and stuff. He actually brought in signed CDs for my Morbid Angel and all that. And he made me read the lyrics, too. Like, when I had my little portable CD player there, and it, was like, it just completely blew my world. Um, one little interesting thing, like, if you ever get in, like, philosophy like arthur schopenhauer with uh, his aesthetics on music um i kind of think about metal like uh in that regard a little bit because um with his aesthetics he really places you know music at the highest echelon of aesthetical experience um and the way his metaphysics are is like anything that reminds you of the mundane world like the the will to survive in this world um kind of takes your mind away from like platonic forms and higher you know expressions of art so like uh wax figures and paintings depicting people um he would actually say uh resides lower on the totem pole than you know music which is universal it doesn't relate to the human condition you know sure it stirs our emotions and all that but with metal when especially you know extreme metal like death metal black metal a lot of those vocals are unintelligible you can't understand what they're saying i'm sure there are some bands that enunciate a little bit better with their growling and all that but uh um what it kind of reminds me is like it's more of like a percussive element in the music rather than like a, a a rock or pop song where you can actually understand everything you understand what they're singing about and you kind of put your mind in that situation like country music it's like oh this guy's truck broke down it's very mundane you know metal is a little bit different than that like metal is like extreme metal is just like almost like this percussive aspect to the vocals which i would kind of place away from uh other forms of music and in regard to schopenhauer's philosophy on art well i i'm i'm not a student of schopenhauer i've you know read things about his philosophy but i i, I think based on your description of it it makes sense to me because music um has the capacity to just completely overwhelm your senses you know it inspires your mind you know you it inspires your imagination but it you know lets your emotions run wild too and and that's something about extreme metal that is so powerful is that it, it it invokes so many different aspects of you know our senses and what we think um and i agree with you about that's about the vocals. They're, they're another type of instrument. You know, I, I can't understand the words of most vocalists in extreme metal. And I, and I enjoy reading lyrics when they're well done. But what matters more is just the sound. Uh, it's, it's both a human sound and an inhuman sound. Uh, you know, harsh, harsh vocals, whether it's growling or screaming. Um, it, 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 it does provide, you know, I think about I like some instrumental metal, um, but but there is something about it that's missing when there's not a voice, even if it's you know an abrasive voice. Uh, it, it, that still adds a texture. And I should say, you know, I love I love your instrumental music, uh, but it it creates a challenge, you know, for an instrumental performer. Yeah, it's, it's less marketable because you don't have the lyrics that people can attach themselves to. It's like I have, like with doing an instrumental project, I have a, an issue with song titles. It's like, well, I'm not singing about anything, but um, that's where I Void Hanger Records really came in and helped out with doing like concept albums and things like that, where I'll actually name the titles, you know, along a concept that I'm going for. Um, so I appreciate you digging the project, which is part of that. Uh, I had a question later on that we can probably jump into now about no clean singing, um, focusing on projects outside of metal, like metal adjacent projects. Um, so you're very lenient in that regard, too. So now you'll feature some clean vocals and then you're, you're willing to actually take a foray into projects that are like the outliers of metal. 
Yes. Um, and that's part of what I've, what has really kept me hooked on metal um, is not just, you know, people doing the kind of things that you first uh, kind of fell in love with, but people then just expanding it and pushing it outward. And, and I think that that creates a, a level of vibrancy in the creative aspect of the genre that, that, that helps keep it alive. And, you know, we still mainly write about, you know, black metal and death metal and doom and uh, hardcore every now and then. But the things that, I mean, honestly, the things that get me especially excited are when I hear something that I haven't heard before. Um, you know, like one reason I'm attracted to your music, uh, you know, and I wrote recently about a, a California band, really, really one man with uh, a little bit of help uh, named Wretch, which is black metal. And again, uh, uses a piano instead of guitar. It's got, you know, drums and, and keyboards of other kinds and it, it's abrasive and it's got, you know, shrieking singing. So it's, it's closer to conventional black metal than go craft, but, but the piano performances are really what make it, unusual and and to me striking and I, I could give you know dozens of other examples of people who bring in either different instruments uh different styles of music but within within a, either a metal framework or at least the spirit of metal and you know that's exciting to discover this it's one of the the things i've kind of been drawn to you know being i've been in the metal since i was a kid um and a lot of it does kind of become stale over time. Um, a lot of the, the same tropes are repeated over and over um, where, you know, nowadays, like anyone who has, you know, a couple thousand dollars can build a, a home recording studio and just release whatever they have that's on their mind. So there's this great oversaturation aspect of metal now that, you know, back when I was into it, you know, bands had to get on a record label, get a, funding for a recording studio and all that so uh um one of the things that you know i'm kind of drawn to is the the outliers of metal um which you know i would consider you know my stuff being a part of but um there's a lot of other things um like there's a lot of great dark ambient projects there's some neo folk um and things like that and neoclassical projects that are adjacent to metal um, so it's great to see them um, really, you know, having like one foot in and one foot out and seeing their take on it. Yeah, I mean, even every Sunday I write a column that's mainly devoted to black metal. Uh, and the one I wrote for today is just all over the place. Uh, I mean, it was really exciting to decide what to pick for it. And I ended it with with a new EP by a Polish band. I'm not going to pronounce this right, but it looks like Stwartz. And it's it's neo-folk uh, with ambient textures in it. There's no vocals in it. Um, and it came right after a pair of bands, one Phantomos from Russia and, uh, oh gosh, what's it called? Ceremonial Black Cult from Chile. And both of those were just storming, you know, just absolutely wild and decimating. And then I thought, oh, man, best way to end this is with stores because it's going to be such a whiplash on people. It, it's something you just kind of lose yourself in uh, entrancing music. So, yeah, I, I completely agree with you that I've always liked trying to find things that are either adjacent to metal or not not what's conventional because you know i think extreme metal appeals to me like all other forms of music i've listened to over my life because it is outsider music and and so including things that are also outside even if they're outside metal <laughs> just to me makes sense it's great that you do that um there's so much out there and you know there's so many people with their own unique voices in there that you know they have their own expression that they want to put out that may not fall into a uh, typical band format that most people are used to so i'm glad that you're you're open-minded enough to actually appreciate some of that 
Um, so it's great that you do that. Um, just quick, you know, another question here. Um, I know you're originally from Austin, um, but now you're up in the Seattle area. Um, I'm personally in San Antonio right now, which I've been to Austin a billion times um, there on sixth street and checking out a lot of bands. I play there quite a few times, but uh, um, do you have any ties with like Texas bands or any like Texas outlets, like toilet of hell? I think they're from Austin. Well, first of all, I got to say that I, I just fucking love San Antonio. I mean, when I was, when I was living in Austin growing up and then I, I went back there uh, for some extra schooling. I always love going to San Antonio. Um, I mean, just kind of part of Texas, but also another country in itself and just beautiful, beautiful people. At least that was my impression of it. But anyway, I, um, I've been away from Texas a long time in terms of day-to-day living. Uh, my brother's still there. And so at least before the pandemic hit, I would go back to Austin, you know, two or three times a year to see him, see him and see some of my old friends from high school. But, you know, I've been away from for so long. I mean, I moved to Seattle in 1995. Oh, wow. Uh, so, you know, that's too many years to, to so I, I really don't have any good sense of the music scene in Austin. I mean, I come whenever I come across a metal band from Austin, I immediately go listen to it. And I've written about some of them because that's always going to be my hometown. Uh, but I don't really have any connections to, you know, any personal connections. Yeah, Austin, Austin's a pretty interesting place. Like they, they, they produce some good, you know, music and bands, but uh, like the last like 10 years has kind of been like a, a hipster paradise there <laughs> like you walk around on sixth street um you'll see a lot of hipsters there and all that and uh it's kind of interesting like uh texas is a great place um for metal um for a long time san antonio thought they were the metal capital of the world and there's so many towns that think that but um like the average person in san antonio that's been here a long time they know about judas priest um um, we've had a lot of bands come from here. We had like Necrovore, uh, Thornspawn. Um, Houston's had a lot of bands. Yeah. Um, Dallas has had, you know, DFW areas had a lot of bands. So um, Texas is definitely a good spot for metal, but, you know, like extreme metal has never like really flourished like other forms of music. Like nowadays, like you go to a show, you'll be lucky if like 100 people are there. I know. I mean, I, um, I spent also spent 12 years in Houston, you know, working there. That's where I met my wife. That's where both my kids were born before we moved to Seattle. Um, and so I pay attention to, you know, extreme music out of Houston too, but I agree with you. My general sense is that there are other places in the country besides Texas where, extreme metal has flourished more than it has there. There are some great bands, you know, from Houston, Dallas, Austin, San Antonio, and elsewhere down on the border towns. There's some great bands, but uh, they don't have the kind of presence. And I, my sense is they don't have the kind of fan base that you can find in some other places. Yeah. It's uh, kind of hard for a lot of these bands to actually break out of Texas. You know, Texas is so big, so like we could actually do like a, a tour, like a six day, you know, tour, you know, just in Texas cities. And um, a lot of bands kind of get sucked into that where they don't really play outside of Texas that much. Um, it's, you know, it's a great place and all that, but I've seen that here where, you know, I, I also, I was born in Tampa and I lived there until I was 12 um, and I moved back as an adult, but the Tampa scene is completely different than the Texas scene. Like you'll just go to a, a metal bar and you'll hang out with, you know, musicians that have toured the world a thousand times. Yeah. I mean, I, T- Tampa is such a, a legendary place for, you know, death metal in particular. Um, y- you know, you just got to feel like that kind of, I've never, I think I've been to Tampa once in my life, so I'm no expert, but I would just guess that because of the history of heavy metal in Tampa, that 
it's always going to be a great place to be a metal fan. Yeah. Um, even like, uh, you know, everyone talks about the scene dying where they're at, but when people visit Tampa, it's like this scene is actually still here, even though the people in Tampa will be like, well, this is, you know, kind of dead only having like 50, 200 people there. But you now I've seen cities that, you know, the only people at the show are the bands and the, you know, the people, the bands brought. So, yeah. um, yeah, the Tampa, Tampa still has a scene, um, San Antonio and, you know, some Texas stuff could be hit or miss. You know, we do have some festivals here that draw a lot of people. Um, so there is that. So moving back to, uh, you as a, uh, writer, um, I'm kind of interested in what kind of books you like to read in your spare time. Like if you have any specific, you know, things that stand out that you're really passionate about with, uh, you know, different genres of books, um, any favorite authors, anything like that? Well, uh, you're really nice to ask me about that because, you know, reading has been a huge part of my life and, you know, probably like music, it's, it's, uh, for me, it has always been a form of escape, you know, from the mundane world. And so the, I mainly read genre fiction with, with a heavy devotion to science fiction and crime or detective fiction and a little fantasy here and there, you know, what I, what I'm actually reading right now is a fantasy novel named The Kingdom of Copper. It's the second book in a trilogy written by a woman named Essa uh, Chakraborty. I got so hooked by the first book, The City of Brass, that I rolled right into this one, and it's keeping me hooked. It's it's about it's about an entire culture of gins, you know, genies, demons. Um, it's about Islamic folklore well no it's not there's not it's kind of tribe tribalism within this culture of magical beings uh but it's set it's set in this vast expanse of you know what would today be persia and the middle east and north africa yeah there's a lot of a lot of great history there especially if you get into like the religions and all that like the pre-judaic stuff um, yeah it's, it's it's very interesting because it's 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 a such it's such otherworldly stuff that it doesn't really connect to what we think of about the modern world. But I mean, that's those books are a little bit of outliers for me because I I really prefer you know science fiction. You you asked me about favorite authors, and you know I kind of off the top of my head I'd name Neil Stevenson and a British writer named Alistair Reynolds, uh, Adrian Tchaikovsky, Kim Stanley Robinson. I've discovered some really great Chinese writers. Uh, can't pronounce this very well. Yao Chi Chen. And, uh, you know, probably my favorite is a, is a Scottish writer named Ian Banks. who wrote, I don't know, something like 25 books set within a university called The Culture. And he, he wrote things outside of it, too, you know, both non-sci-fi stuff and standalone sci-fi books. And unfortunately, he died a couple of years ago, which was, you know, crushing to me. I mean, I love the writers of the Expanse series who've become you know, even better known due to the popularity of the, the streaming series that was made from their books. Uh, and I got I to gotta mention Ted Chang, who, who lived in Seattle and is a phenomenal short story writer. I mean, one of his stories became the basis for the, I thought it was a fantastic movie called Arrival. Um, and I got a bunch of people I love in the crime and thriller stuff too, but I, I could go on for a while about this, but I won't. So a lot of like kind of sci-fi and fantasy um, things that you like to read, correct? I'm sorry, say again. There's a lot of like science fiction and fantasy um, things that you like to read, correct? Oh yeah, I mean, I, uh, I, I like to think that after I started reading science fiction when I was, you know, like ten years old, uh, as an outgrowth from like all the comic books I read, and um, so I like to think I've gotten more refined in my taste, you know, and really try to hunt down 
the writers who are, you know, create real world characters and fantastic settings. Um, and I just don't, you know, every now and then I, I'll go, I'll go like try to read some history or a biography, but I, if I were to psychoanalyze myself, I would say that in my reading, I'm the same as I am in what I listen to is I want to be transported away. Yeah. I can see that. Um, like one thing I've been doing and it's really silly, but it helps me um, fall asleep. Um, is I'll put on like Amazon prime, which they have a lot of like UFO documentaries and you know, really outlandish things, especially once you start digging into them, like, are these people freaking serious? But I'll put that stuff on and my mind will just jump into it. And the next thing I know, I'm falling asleep. So definitely helps me fall asleep, you know, listening to like ancient aliens. And there, there's some stuff that goes way deeper than ancient aliens out there, um, which I don't actually believe it. But so let me, let me ask you this, because I when I when I read, I read at night in my bed, you know, and depending upon how worn out I am, it might be 15 minutes or it might be an hour. And so let me ask you this. If you read at night like I do, are you aware of your dreams? And do, if you are, do you think what you've been reading as you fall asleep influences that? Well, like type of lucid type of dreaming where you actually have like, you know, very vivid situations and some situations you can control everything. Well, maybe that or maybe just... You know, I don't know that I, I don't know that I'm thinking about what I'm dreaming when I'm asleep, but when I wake up, you know, like, and it's particularly been true during the pandemic, which has been very weird. I, I would almost never before this remember what I was dreaming, hmm. but now I find like almost every night I wake up and I'm thinking about not just not just the last dream I had before I woke up, but some of some of what happened over the course of the night. It's been very strange. So I don't know if that's just me or other people are feeling that too. Possibly. I mean, the last book I actually sat down and read, um, you know, I was going to school and, you know, pretty busy with work and all that. But uh, it was a, a collection of uh, Robert E. Howard's stories about Conan. So it, it's you know, teenager stuff, really, but I, I still love how it's written, and there's always this grand uh, finale to stories that I really enjoy, but lately, I've been having, like, very mundane dreams, like, I had a, a dream, like, uh, the other night where a, a hurricane hit the East Coast, you know, things like that, where, you know, it's not like you're jumping into different realities or anything like that, it's very, you know, in this fixed world, um, and something like mundane, like a storm coming on the East coast. So I don't know. Um, one thing that probably we can edit this out if you don't want to talk about it, but, uh, um, you know, I've been around, you know, music and all that. Um, I primarily just drank beer, but a lot of other people do other things and people who, uh, smoke pot talk about not having dreams um, and once they stop smoking it, they tend to have like really bad night terrors. So, you know, that was kind of one thing that jumped in my mind. Um, no, I mean, I, I guess because I've, I've smoked weed since I was in you know high school, but I've never, I've never like smoked it every day. Uh, you know, now I'm at the point where I'm, I like might smoke it twice a month. So I'm definitely not a pothead. Um, I do like the way it makes me feel, but honestly, when I want to get fucked up, I still, you know, want to go to like scotch and gin and vodka and bourbon. Um, I'm one of those drunks that, that just like feels like somebody stuck a firecracker in me when I get, when I get drunk, yeah. you know, get excited i get uh i'm a happy drunk too um unless i'm doing whiskey and then i'm 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 the guy you don't want to talk to <laughs> but other than that you know i'm, I'm a happy drunk 
Yeah, no, I and I I feel it about myself and my friends and family tell me this that I'm just like a stupidly happy drunk. Um, I know that some people get, you know, fucking mean and vicious when they get drunk. And I'm glad I'm not that way. Um, when I get when I get high, which again is pretty infrequent, I just kind of really slow way down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was kind of, you know, just just from what I've experienced from others, um, you know, I had a ex-girlfriend who smoked and she never had dreams except when she stopped drinking or stopped smoking. Um, she, uh, would have night terrors, but that's one thing I'm like, I'm a one hit wonder of pot. Um, <laughs> if I do one hit, I'm on the floor in a different reality. So I stay away from it. I feel very compromised. So I haven't touched that in a long, long time. We're talking, you know, greater than five years. So, um, just mainly stick to the beer now. It keeps me pretty chill. So, uh, going back to the, the books and all that, and the, you can let me know if you want me to edit any of this out. I'll do that later. But uh, um, has that somewhat impacted like your writing style, like how you approach writing? I know reading a book can be pretty meditative. Um, do you approach writing in like a meditative like frame of mind? No, I mean, no, I, I do. I definitely do think that reading good writing, I hope, know inspires me to be better at what I do but the way our the way I work my blog is I I work on it you know five six seven hours a day and every day it's a it's a goddamn thrash you know I've I have to write fast I have to jump to what other people have written to edit it and and so I mean I I try to continue to get better at it, but it's not, it doesn't, it's not a process that allows for a lot of thought. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't consider myself like a music critic. I, I really just try to write what I'm feeling when I listen to the music. And so it's a bit stream of conscious consciousness uh, it's, it's trying to think of ways to explain the sensation of the music. You know, I try to sometimes incorporate, uh, the, the techniques that are being used, but it's mainly just about what, what it makes me feel. That's, that's great that you're able to do like that descriptive writing about how the music makes you feel um and you come in you know into the fold with that with uh you know being bookish and also having impeccable grammar so uh what's kind of like your views on metal how has metal evolved in your view like do you think uh you know metal's diverging off in a different direction well that's a that's a really interesting question um and a big question. I, I, I do think, I mean, for me at least, uh, mainstream music has just always bored me. Even, even the biggest name metal bands often bore me. I, I mean, I want music, as I said before, that sounds wild or unorthodox, you know, something that transports me out of the world I go through every day and the energy and the dark emotional power of metal is, is a huge part of why I enjoy it. I mean, I, I don't have any interest in listening to music that allows me to do something else at the same time as I'm listening. I want music that demands that I put all my attention into it. Right. And a lot of people do like, they like to put on music and do something else. They kind of hold music in adornment, like a reflection of their personality rather than, it in its own specific, you know, element, its own thing where it actually demands your attention. Yeah. I mean, if it's not, if it's not seizing your attention, then I think it's not good. You know, if you, if you're able to do something else while you're listening, then I think it's, you haven't, you know, you're not listening to something that is the highest form of the art. Um, I know lots of people listen to metal while they're doing other things. I can't. 
or if I can, I don't really want to be listening to it. Uh, I, I just want something that, that arrests my attention. You know, just like slaps me in the face, you know, hits me in the head and says, you, you have to hear this. What are some of your favorite bands that hit you in the head like that? Oh gosh, I'm terrible at this. Well, I'm sure there's some recent bands. Everyone's, you know, taste changes over time. So it's really hard to pinpoint and say, oh, yeah, this objectively is my favorite band or anything like that. But what are some bands that have, like, stuck out to you recently or anything that you would like to comment on? I, there was a time before I started this blog when I think I was probably, like, most metal fans, you know, where I'd buy like 10 or 12 albums a year, listen to them over and over and over again. And, but since I started the blog and it's accelerated over time. What about Rotting Christ? (laughs) Well, so where I'm headed with this is that, you know, on most days, I'm focused on something that I had agreed to premiere. And then if I'm lucky, I have enough time to just dart around among other things that I've seen that I think I might like. But on an average day, you know, I might listen to 10 bands. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I couldn't do that personally, but I know you run uh, the the blog and all that, and you definitely want to stay up to, you want to, you want to listen to everything that's on your site. So it's very responsible for you to do uh, i know some writers who get very proficient at they can look at like at a press statement or something like that and they're able to turn that into like three or four paragraphs without actually soaking up the music at all so it's good that you actually spend the time to well, listen you, to what's featured on your site you no know, you know what it is and I'll, I'll be honest about this i i i have an obsessive compulsive personality very functional one I think, but I feel like whatever, whatever our blog is good for, it's, it's just about spreading the word. And so I feel this kind of bizarre compulsion that I have to do as much as I can. And, and so I have to write about as much as I can. I have to put as many streams as I can on the blog because there are so many talented people out there that are looking for help. I mean, I, we do, you know, me and my other writers, we do write about stuff that a lot of people already know about, but you know, for me, and I think for the rest of them, the point is that we have, we have made a platform that, you know, people pay attention to some people, and so we can't, we have to spread it as, as best we can. And particularly to spread it around uh, performers who don't have, you know, gigantic PR machines, you know, and big labels behind them. And I just feel, I, I feel an anxiety that I can't do more. You know, that's what I want to do. And I just, ah. Uh, it's cool. And um, one thing I noticed about your website, I know that you want to be very careful with what you're featuring. You want to, you know, you want to handle everything with a great deal of care, which is very responsible and very good that you do that. It's probably why you've grown so large is that you approach it differently. You're not just, re, you know, pasting things, copying and pasting things and featuring that. You're actually spending time with it and getting to know it. Um but that kind of opens up another avenue here because, uh, you know, you're just one man. You can't handle everything. So uh, for contributing writers, which I know there's quite a few, what is the criteria for people to submit articles for No Clean Singing? Well, um, this, this, this blog has been kind of chaotic from the beginning. I, I have always, I mean, I started it and I'm the main editor, but so I have some say about this, but my feeling about writing has been to always have an open arm, open arms. 
I will say that there are two people who have stayed with this with me for 10 years, you know, they go by Andy Sin and DGR. So they're regular staff writers. Yeah. Regular staff writers. I mean, none of, none of us are paid. This isn't a business. You know, all I do is spend money on it. We don't, we don't make a dime. We don't advertise. So they do this purely out of uh, friendship and passion. But over the, I think we're in our 12th year right now. And over that time, there've been tons of people who've kind of come in and then gone out. And we have a bunch of new ones this year. And so, you know, uh, people write me and say, could I contribute? And I say, number one, you do realize you're not going to get paid a dime. Number two, uh, can I see something you've written? And, and then after that, because I do, I do have high standards for the writing on the blog. I want people who know how to write. I've noticed that I've written articles and you've changed commas into semicolons. <laughs> well, you're getting, you're getting off into another part of my uh, obsessive personality. Uh, you're a great writer, by the way, but I, I would say that I've, I had very strict, but inspiring English teachers in my middle school and high school. And I, the work that I do, I mean, I've been a newspaper editor. I've edited professional journals. My main work right now involves a lot of writing and editing. So I'm kind of, you know, to use an old word persnickety about style and grammar. Uh, and it's, it's kind of a tough line to walk because I, I don't want to change people's voices. And in metal, you know, there's a lot of, Wild voices are good. And so I don't want to squelch that. Um, but I do value good writing. And so, but I'm all, always open to new writers. And I've just found over time that the way our blog has worked is we've got a few people. I would include the Matt Israeli, who's, you know, kind of comes in and out, but has been, also been around for like a decade. You know, Tennessee. There's Comrade Alex, I've seen that quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. And, but there's lots of other people that have like come in and gone out and some of them have gone on to like much bigger sites than ours. And that's all cool to me. I, I, all I really want to do is, is try to provide to people who visit us well-written pieces about music that inspires them. You know, we don't, we don't publish anything that's negative. I mean, I, I felt started the site with that philosophy. All we want to do is talk about things that, in, that make us enthusiastic, that, that make us feel alive and leave to other places, you know, trashing and mediocre bands. Right. Um, that's, that's an interesting take that you have, because I noticed even some of the bigger, um, you know, publications out there that, that new Six Feet Under album came out and people just trashed it, even in the bigger magazines and all that. Um, but your website, I've never seen anything negative about anything on it. Um, it was kind of interesting to actually have that, uh, that element to it. I don't think any other website does. Um, I've written you know, for quite a few websites and all that um, over the years. And... You know, I've I've written negative things about you know projects and all that, but I don't do it in a malicious way. I, I just do it more from uh, I know objectivity is kind of hard to pinpoint. You can look at structure and all that, but um, I always try to look at it from the essence of composition more than you know like a person or whatever the band's trying to go for. And it's what I kind of focus on. So that, that criticism could be seen as negative on some things that I've written about. But uh, yeah, the things that I've written about for uh, No Clean Singing is kind of just been off kilter, you know, random articles I've submitted. So it's really interesting that you even accept those, um, which, you know, I understand you're one guy running the website. So it's great that you have a lot of contributors to, you know, keep that content coming. 
And it sounds like you got some good people on board. We, we have wonder. I mean, we have always had wonderful. I mean, some of them, the ones I mentioned have been around for a really long time, despite, you know, the travails of daily life, you know, which have caused other people to, you know, whether it's like starting a family or starting a new job that's pressuring or whatever, you know, they're just, but everybody who's contributed has been great. And the ones who've stayed here for like more than a decade just, you know, have revealed an extra level of passion. But I I think what you're talking about, I'm not trying to, you know, diminish musical criticism um, because some of the greatest music critics have pointed out the flaws. Yeah. Schumann, that composer, actually a critic. um, And it's extremely valuable. We do have, we do, I think, you know, my friend Andy uh, does this more than most of us, but he, he does point out flaws in what he reviews. But my, my thought has just been, and I think we're probably, you know, in a way like substandard to blogs that do critical, and I mean critical in the way, you know. In- those, those are pretty rare, um, and it really fits into a specific niche. How yeah. many people in metal want to listen to objective criticism um there's very few you know musicians and all that another thing too is a lot of musicians are really sensitive you know it's their baby that you're criticizing um and and i'm not saying that in a malicious way like everything should be handled with care but it really falls into like a niche where you'll see a band you know get like you know a lot of good publicity but none of the publicity actually um is critical of what they're actually doing so it falls into a specific niche which i think maybe like 10 percent of metal listeners you know actually are interested in yeah i mean this to me this has always been a tightrope um i think there's great value in reviews that that uh, that highlight both the strengths and the weaknesses of, of music. Um, I just, I just have had a hard time doing that myself. And I just, and again, we have writers who do that, but I just feel like, um, it's like a medical examination, right? (laughs) Yes. Yes. But I, I, I just, I don't know. I'm sure it's, uh, some kind of part of my personality, but but what I want to do, I, I, I mean, shit, you know this. You play this kind of music. You make no money off of it. You get no fame from it. You pour yourself into it. You know, you find, you dig down deep into your person and you bring it out. Right. And the thing that I will differentiate you from others is that you give it a chance. I've I've been featured in a lot of magazines, recently one in Ukraine, oddly enough, where the reviewer said, he gave me a 7 out of 10. He loved everything that I was doing, but because it was piano, he had to degrade the rating um, because it wasn't metal. And that just really rubs me the wrong way, where people can't really... I don't think they really get into like everything I'm actually doing. Um so it's great that you actually handle such things, you know, metal adjacent projects with care. Yeah, I just, you know, the, uh, again, I'm going back to self psychoanalysis that I just, I feel when I feel something special about music, um, I, I just want, I just want to fucking broadcast it. I, I want, I want to try to make people look into things that have made me, you know, alive, made me feel alive, transported me, your, your music included. I don't want to spend my time telling people what they should not listen to. Fuck that. 
Um, other places will do that. And I don't mean to detract from the value of that because they're very, you know, there's a fucking tidal wave of music every goddamn day. And people need, you know, at least people who read blogs like ours, the curation of it, you know, the say the selection, like this or that or the other thing is valuable, but I don't find any value in telling people, don't listen to this. If I don't want to listen to it, I'm just going to ignore it. Right, exactly. And you should, um, rather than just writing, you know, just a flat out negative review, it's something that you don't even want to listen to. It's just going into it with the wrong intention. Um, yeah, just, I think ignoring it's probably the best way to go about it rather than, you know, trashing something because, you know, that could end up in the, the musician's lap someday and they read that it might tear them down a little bit. So, yeah, I definitely agree with you there. Um, and it falls back on you handling your subjects with care when you write about it. Um, so it's very interesting. Um, a couple more things about no clean singing is the uh, massive year end list. Like, I can't tell you how many times I looked at the, the Facebook page over the years and seeing, you know, list after list after list of bands to check out. Um, how did that come about? Like with the, the year end list, did you just want to capture like the, the best of from the website and having other people contribute with that? Well, it's, it's, it's kind of related to the philosophy that I just explained, which is, I just feel this obsessive uh, desire to spread the word about as much, you know, music as I can. And I know that our, our year end lists are just ridiculous. They are. <laughs> I never see anything like it. I think you fully have that niche of year end lists on your website because it's not just your year end lists. You may have like your, your list, but it's like part eight. It's like, Oh, this is continuing on and on and on. And then, you know, there's other people contributing their list too. So that- I, just, I, I mean, again, I know that, I know that the, our year end like list mania orgy is overwhelming. You know, we just, I just post so many lists from you know, regular, irregular writers, you know, guests. Um, and I don't, I don't fucking care. I mean, I just, I, People will do what they will do. You know, they will explore this stuff or they won't. But it's just part of my entire philosophy about the website, which is just try to expand the horizon of as many bands as we can. Right. And that goes into you wanting to, you know, signal, boost, or amplify what these bands are doing. That that year-end list gives you another opportunity to do so. It is. It's a, but it, it's it's just it's just kind of a ridiculous frenzy, um, and I've thought about it. You know, I've had actually some of my co-writers that say, "Really, you got to cut back on this." You know, no one should have a list that's more than ten albums, and maybe we shouldn't have as many lists as we do. And I see this. You know, I see the sense in that. Um. I recognize the risk of just overwhelming people, but I just can't stop. I, I, I just feel like, and I know that like a ton of what I write, probably less, less so than what other people write. People won't even read, they won't even read it. They'll just like go to a post and press play. And that's fine. Cause I don't, I mean, I, I try to write for listeners, but I mainly write for the bands. I mainly want them to know what I felt when I listened to what they played. And if no one else reads what I write except them, I'm okay with that. Uh, and if everybody else just goes and presses play, that's cool too. You know, a few more plays. One thing I noticed with those lists is that it's great to just open and see what kind of bands are featured. And if I happen to like some of those bands, then I might check out some of the other ones. So I, I found that that's really useful for my own musical intake. Um, 
so it's very cool that you know you have so much of it um so last main thing that i really want to get into on this podcast is something a little bit adjacent to no clean singing but i feel like you know it's part of it and that's the northwest terror fest so how did you become involved with that festival well i'm thank you for asking about this because it's uh it's been a huge part of my life um i mean it started off gosh i don't know five six years ago just conversations among metal friends in Seattle and it didn't, it didn't really get off, uh, you know, musings about it until we encountered David Rogers, who is a metal musician and had, had, had uh, put on festivals in Arizona when he lived there called Southwest Terror Fest. And then he moved to Washington. And I don't even remember now, right. How we encountered him. But he he knew how to do this, like the logistical side of it. Oh yeah, I mean, down into like ridiculous depths of logistical science. And so he he really was a vital part of how, you know, me and a bunch of friends in Seattle made the first festival happen. And then he just continued, you know, for the next three years. Uh, he and his wife are wonderful people and they taught us a tremendous amount and they enabled us to put on, you know, Northwest Terror Fest, um, which went for three years. And then, you know, last year was going to be the fourth year and we had to cancel it because of the virus. And we just, we, we, we didn't actually cancel. We just like pushed it to this year. And then, you know, several months ago, we realized we can't, we can't do this this year. Yeah, uh, it's, the COVID's totally destroyed the, the arts in general and entertainment. I know everyone's like watching Netflix at home now, um, like HBO Max, all the, the big like entertainment companies are streaming a lot now, but that concerts, you know, the arts, everything where there's a gathering of people has really taken a huge strike against it during COVID. So I kind of see like a, a resurgence happening. Like it may not last, but once things actually quote unquote return to normal, if we actually have a new normal or whatever, but uh, um, it could be uh, interesting to see, like there could be like really big, like concert attendance again, um, you know, local scenes becoming, you know, not so local having, you know, good showings. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're exactly right. There's so much pent up energy, you know, so much pent up demand among people who, you know, who love live shows. It's going to happen. Uh, I mean, it's going to be impaired by the fact, including you know, like here in the Seattle area, by the fact that, that so many you know, vital venues have closed. And it's so it's going to be a challenge. Um, but it's going to happen. And I think that like lots of other parts of the American economy and economies all over the world, new things will begin. Uh, you know, we're, we're already planning for the fourth the twice postponed fourth edition of Northwest Terror Fest. It is going to happen in, you know, next year. We're booking bands right now. It's, it's going to happen. And I just, I actually can't fucking wait to see the reaction. Um, I mean, we had so many, our first three festivals were, were amazingly exciting. And there's just all this hunger. That there is, there's very great hunger. Um, it's really interesting. Like, you know, I didn't realize it was the fourth iteration of the festival coming up. You know, obviously it was delayed due to COVID. Um, it's really interesting. Like, what, what, what are some of your favorite aspects about that festival? Witnessing it, 
happened you know like any favorite bands that stood out or anything like that from like your own personal experience oh wow i mean i'm it's it's been just like this deluge of excitement for me i mean i'm i'm an old man and i you know spend spent most of my time over our first three festivals <clears throat> trying to just make sure everything ran smoothly and to make sure, I mean, it's been a huge part of our festival that we want, we want first and foremost, of course, to present something that is going to excite ticket buyers. But right next to that has been to try to make the experience a, a beautiful one for the bands who perform, you know, make, make everything they do smooth, you know, treat them like kings and queens uh, backstage. And I think we've done that. You know, we've gotten great feedback from the bands who performed about how much they enjoyed the experience. And that's what we want to carry forward. But, you know, we're, we're on the cusp of not just in Seattle, but everywhere, just all this pent up, you're right. Energy among fans who just want to go fucking listen to people. Yeah, there might be a resurgence of the uh, the live metal aspect. I know a lot of bands right now. You know, they're focusing on writing. Um, they're focusing on you know just that because they can't go and tour. They're they're really just into their own little headspace and they're able to start putting out new records. And once I think once they hit the uh, the circuit you know, after COVID dies down a little bit, there could be the really big resurgence, whether or not it stays, there's something, you know, the, the gods know, but. Oh. Um, don't you, don't you feel that Jason? Don't you, I don't know. I, I just feel like there's this famishing hunger to be together again, to be like packed in and watching performers like you do their thing, you know, out on the tripwire of, you know, the a live performance that there's nothing more exhilarating than that. There's nothing more exhilarating than see people, you know, great artisans doing their thing in front of live audiences and, and the feedback that happens in that experience. There's nothing like it. Yeah, you're right. There's like me personally, I love to drink a few beers and watch good pl band play live. Like I've even done it with classical music where I'll go down to the San Antonio Symphony, I'll pregame, but I'll go and watch like Schubert's Eighth or, you know, Bruckner or anything like that, which is actually like really heavy classical. And I'll be in the front row in the orchestra pit just soaking it all up. I love it. It's a very visceral experience. It, it's, that's the word. That's the word, visceral. You know, I'm, I'm like too fucking old to get in a mosh pit anymore, but I like, I like to get up on the front of the stage uh, where I can like see people performing, you know, just a few feet away. And I can still have people fucking hammering me in the back, which is, you know, a resemblance of me being in the mosh pit. There's nothing like that. Yep. Yeah, you don't get that experience at home listening to music. So, yeah. Very, yeah. very cool. Well, it's been great speaking with you today, Islander. Um, I know we've been in touch for many years. And, you know, I you let me submit some articles for No Clean Singing. Um, I'm really interested to see like how the website evolves over time. I know right now it's like you do a lot of premieres and just a lot of content. I know you're sharing a lot of art on the social media too, which is really cool. Um, I really, really do support what you're doing and I'm glad that you're out there doing it. Um, and one of the most interesting things of this conversation conversation today is that your kids got you into extreme metal. I mean, you owe them one on that element. Um, you know, just getting into their hobby and then just taking it into your your own hands and really helping to promote 
uh, metal as a whole? I mean, my, my life has constantly been unpredictable. And my kids, you know, have, have had immense influences in who I've become in ways I never would have predicted. And metal is a huge part of it. And I, it's just, I mean, I don't, this, no clean singing is not a job. It is purely passion. Um, and I do my best to try to translate the passion of musicians like you and so many other people and try to do what I can to make other people explore this and become moved by it. Um, it's very great. It's very great that you do it. Um, and you've grown immensely. I know you've been doing it for 12 years, but still like looked at the Facebook page or over 40,000 likes. Um, you're growing. Um, and it's really great that it, you're growing and you're handling it with a lot of care. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the mission. And again, it's not because we make money off of it. We don't make a dime off of it. It's, it's to just try to uh, expand the reach of talented people who, you know, don't have a lot of reach endemically. And uh, that makes me happy. That's very great. Thank you for being on the program. I'll be in touch. Thank you, man. Have a great rest of your day.